You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me is my co-hostess with the mostest, Paul Doroshenko. Nice to see you, Kyla. And um, Thursday evening here recording, we have not talked about what the topics are. I've already figured them out. Well, that's great. So it's going to be a surprise for me. Yes. On the way here, I phoned you and we talked about various things, including... Ice cream cake. Ice cream cake. It was Brandon Moscow. Brandon's birthday and I enjoyed some ice cream cake. Again, we didn't talk about topics while I ate the ice cream cake. Well, yeah, I didn't want, I don't like to tell you them in advance because then you talk out all your good points. I know. You're worried that I will, I'll use all my fire and fury. Yes. I, I usually tell you in a much more gutter bound way. Okay. So why don't we get right into it? Because I'm curious now and you're looking at your phone. Well, the first thing we should talk about is it's the most wonderful time of the year. What is that? Counterattack season. The most wonderful time of the year? Are you kidding? Well, counterattack season is Christmas time. No, counterattack is summer too. Yeah, that, that they just announced that. It's not it's just to try and discourage people. There's no extra enforcement. You don't think there's extra enforcement in the summer? I don't think so. There's money for it. They, like, VPD does these counterattack shifts where they get, they get money outside of the regular police budget to put officers out at roadblocks. And when do you see VPD conducting roadblocks? Summer? Christmas. That's it. So Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. That's true. And, um. I was being facetious, obviously. Summer roadblock season is not the most wonderful time of the year. Do you Um, think, do you think that the counterattack campaigns do any good? Are they worth the money? Um, I still, you know, and I've, I've said this before and I've said it a hundred times and probably listeners already know, uh, visible enforcement is very useful. Um, I was called recently by a, uh, journalist in the interior when they were, uh, doing a story on, uh, cell phone enforcement and showing all of these creative ways that the police were doing it. And I told them, you know, they're just, they're just uh, playing you for the publicity. It's a publicity stunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, I don't think I said publicity stunt. You told me I should have said that. Yeah. But um, the uh, those things probably have some deterrent effect. But, you know, today I was driving uh, to the office and there was somebody in their car right beside me. Nice looking uh, Fiat Abarth. And the guy was just texting away at the intersection. And it's just so, it's all over the place. I don't think any of that has any deterrent effect. For more so than a day. You don't think counterattack, summer counterattack is worth it? I think announcing it does not have a deterrent effect. I think the visible enforcement does have the deterrent effect. Really? You don't think announcement effect has has any deterrent? I don't think it has nearly the deterrent that it used to pre-internet. So in the pre-internet days, people were watching the news. The news story would get out. It's counterattack season. People would think about it. Now, you know, you're on Facebook. Unless you see it, unless it's been posted there by somebody... People scrolling thing through, I don't, I mean, I don't use Facebook. Well, it could come um, up in, in the algorithm on your Twitter or your Instagram. 
It's very rare, though. It's not the same. It's I've not the it. same value. I've seen a bunch of it. Well, but sure of course, have, the algorithm but... is directing driving law-related things to me. There you go. So I don't, uh, I don't think it has nearly the announcement effect that it used to. I think the visible deterrence does have an effect. Okay, second question for you. Do you think that given where we are in the pandemic, and today is Thursday as we're recording, we've had the highest number of daily new cases in two months in BC, 20 new cases today. Wow. Um, we've had a couple uh, little epi outbreaks. Um I'm really worried about, I feel like we're slipping, but um, with all of that, do you think it's appropriate for police to be out doing impaired driving enforcement? Because you have a lot of concerns about the ASD. Well, here's the thing. And I was thinking about that today. You hadn't mentioned that you were going to ask me this, but of course, not. of course there is lots and lots of discussion about Americans being here. And in the United States, things are out of control. Um, and, uh, we see, of course, you know, license plates from, and we discussed this a little bit last week. Uh, but what about police pulling over Americans? Um, if I were a police officer pulling over an American, I would be concerned for my own safety. You, you know, there's an increased likelihood that they've got COVID-19 and that they're a carrier of it. Well, there are stores and businesses that are now like Brandy's, the exotic entertainment lounge in downtown Vancouver that recently had a COVID-19 outbreak has said, we're ready to reopen, but we're not accepting any American customers. I know. I saw that too. Not that I'm following what goes on there, but the, uh, I think if I were a police officer, I would be, I would be discouraged from pulling over an American. If I saw an American making, committing an offense, I might just go, ah, oh, yeah, I'm not pulling them over. I don't really want to investigate them. I don't want to be in a circumstance where I have to do an ASD test with them. Um, and you know, there are a lot of Americans coming into BC every day. They're working at the, uh, at the Kinder Morgan terminal. Um, and. But aren't they supposed to be isolating? They're coming in each day to work and driving back home to Washington state yeah, each day to work. Aren't they supposed to be going, working straight home? No stops. One would think, but do you honestly think that they're doing that? I mean, there was that one guy, was that in uh, PEI? Where was it? Somebody who uh, was supposed to isolate and like, then they went to the grocery store and they, they already. That was in New Zealand. In New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. Which is horrible because New Zealand is like winning. They were winning. Yes. Um, no, I'm really worried about slipping uh, and I'm really worried about slipping in the economic impact. I was driving down Kingsway. I've driven down there twice this week. Um, once when, uh, you got a report in the middle of the day that your garbage had been dumped over, um, I was going to clean up your garbage for you and thank goodness one of your neighbors did it anyway. <laughs> thank you neighbor. Uh, and then I drove back and I was looking at the, uh, places for lease and Kingsway is a pretty like good corridor to have a business cause you've got heavy traffic. And, um, there's, I would say 20% of places are for lease and mm -hmm. that is at, you know, beginning July 1st, right? That means a lot of places packed up and moved out. Um, and this is just going to get worse and worse. Yep. Um, but that doesn't answer my question. Do you think it's appropriate for police to be doing counterattack enforcement this summer? Well, we haven't seen any major decline in drunk driving, uh, surprisingly anywhere in the world. And, uh, in fact, in some jurisdictions, they've seen an increase and we always thought that it was all just bars, uh, were the source of it and that, uh, it was hockey season was the source of it. And apparently people just keep drinking and, and driving and maybe they're scared to get in taxis. I don't know. Well, so there is a bit of August. a problem. 
I know. So there's a bit of a problem there that it's not, um, you know, I'm worried about slipping as you are. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, worried that uh, people will keep drinking and driving. So I saw this ridiculous ICBC ad on Twitter today. That I guess the algorithm is feeding me this ad. Um, it's a woman and she's like staring at her closet trying to figure out what to wear, which a little bit sexist, ICBC. Thanks. Happens to me too. Yeah. Why does it have to be a woman, right? Why does it have to be a woman trying to figure out what to wear? Anyway, she selects something from a hanger and puts it on and oh, it's a face mask. But she's alone in her house, which I don't get because you don't wear a face mask when you're alone in your house unless you forgot to take it off. But then she sees like a commotion on the street and looks out and there's red and blue flashing lights and there's a guy in a car being stopped by a police officer. Excuse me guy in a car being stopped by a police officer and the police officer is up at his window and he's essentially issuing him an IRP that's what's happening and it's like you know lots of things have changed but the rules around drug driving haven't but neither the police officer nor the guy driving his car are wearing any PPE the officer's got bare hands and a bare face while he's not socially distant from this person well we are not <laughs> we are not in the circumstance like the US and in the US um, roadside breath testing is an optional process in Canada it's basically a compulsory process and thank goodness we don't have the infection rate that they have in the states but if we did I, I mean I would be terrified to be a police officer testing people and the only reason I haven't been making a lot of noise about it in the last little while is because we've been doing such a good job uh, across Canada and it's been in certain um, businesses and other institutions where we've seen these outbreaks. Uh, so I haven't been overly worried about the police officers having to deal with the individuals and the police don't look like they've been worried. The police um, haven't been worried. They should be if we start getting uh, further outbreaks because this is a big concern. I read like, I mean, I read probably 20, 30 new impaired driving related files a week. You know, yeah. police conducting some type of roadside investigation where they're in close proximity to a person and administering a roadside test or wanting to do so. I would say that maybe two a week, the officer mentions something about wearing a mask or gloves. In most of the cases, I'm sure they're not. And I'm worried that they're going to go back to their detachment after, after picking something up from somebody or giving it to a driver. Yeah. Well, exactly. And so and I, if you, you know, test an American, for example, with a ASD and they've got it and the next person you test down the road is somebody who doesn't have it, you expose them to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're so harsh on the Americans. I love Americans, but I mean, the point is that, I mean, there's lots of Americans I don't love, but there's also lots of Canadians I don't love. So it's not an issue of, it's not an issue of your, uh, of your citizenship. It's an issue of the fact that their government has totally dropped the ball and failed dramatically, which is only what we all expected with their government. Well, point of the story, um, about the ICBC ad is if this is how impaired driving enforcement is being done in the summer, I don't think we should have counterattack roadblocks. I don't think it would be appropriate. I think that we need to make sure that we're enforcing the norms, like wearing masks, if you can't be socially distant, with police before we're giving them money to go 
do the same things we've always done in close proximity as though nothing is wrong. I'm with you. And so, you know, if anybody out there is in charge of counterattack funding and listens to this podcast, fund some masks for the cops. You can order some at lawyertoldme.com. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have true. that many. <laughs> well, we could get some more if the police start ordering them, but uh, I don't think the police are going to be ordering them with that with the, that message out. They are reversible. Yeah, you can have uh, black on them. And I think there's still uh, about 140 of them left. Yeah. I don't know, something like that, 150. So a while ago, you and I got into a debate on this podcast about whether or not we should allow people to get their licenses without a road test because all the road tests got canceled. I was thinking about that today because uh, twice I was driving behind L drivers driving around apparently with their parents and I was thinking, well, they should be able to have a test now, I guess. And so I As assume they're July doing... July 20th. They, in BC? Yep. So that's back. why they're all back. So it's been announced and that's why it was twice today. I, okay. Everybody's practicing, trying yep. to get on. Non-commercial drivers. So 55,000 appointments were canceled. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot oh my God. of There's... backlog. And remember that to get your road test... As it stands, if you're in the lower mainland, you're looking at a several month long wait list. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Well, that puts a lot into perspective for the people who are not in uh, dealing with ICBC every day like we are. Think about that. 55,000 people waiting to take their road tests. And mm. those are the people who are likely canceled. Yep. And in 2019, ICBC, they've got statistics for this. So in 2019... They conducted 20,800 road tests every month. Now that was without having to deal with the whole, you know, social without, distancing yeah. thing. Um, so there were about 9,500 class fives and uh, about 9,000, little under 9,000 class seven tests a month. This is probably the best time to get it done. I bet they're going to do an expedited test. I bet it's not nope. going to be, no? Nope. What they're doing is they're going to open more road testing locations and they're going to hire more testers, examiners, I guess. Yeah. So right now they have 188 examiners, people who can facilitate the exam. Um, but they have to train them though. Yeah. They're going to have to train them. So it's not, it's not going to happen overnight. And there's all sorts of measures that are going to be in place for the new testing. So the examiners have to wear medical grade masks. So an N95 respirator. Yeah. They have to wear face shields or goggles. Yeah. And gloves. Yeah. Um, and they, ordinarily they'd be conducting nine tests a day. Mm -hmm. Now they're going to reduce that to seven. So even though, you know, you could theoretically clear the backlog at 20,800 tests a month, you could clear the backlog in three months. They're not going to be able to do that because... They can't take as many tests. You've got, yeah, you've got two fewer, fewer tests per, day per, per person. person. Yeah. yeah, per 188 people. <laughs> that's a lot, a lot fewer tests. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting. And then ICBC, you know, you want to talk about like extraneous costs at ICBC and dumpster fire, et cetera, et cetera. ICBC is providing the drivers who are taking the tests with medical grade masks that they're required to wear. So you can't wear your lawyer told me not to talk to you mask. You have to wear their mask. Fascinating. 
Because we're already facing PPE shortages in many locations in the United States, and we're worried about it here. Yep. And the they're doing a new online system to book your tests. Do you remember the problems they had with the online system before? Well, they had online, then they had phone in. Yeah, but they had bots, yep. right, that would go and they'd book up all the slots. Exactly. And they're going to be... New bots. Oh man, we could sell slots. We'd have to build a bot we could, to sell a slot. We could build a slot And I think bot. we should not. <laughs> I gave it some thought. Good. Excellent, <laughs> Kyla. The, um, oh somebody, somebody from CRA phoned me the other day and, uh, just like it was, a, it was a mental health check for CRA. They were calling just to see whether or not we're, we're functioning. And it's the tax man. Are you okay? That's basically what it was. Is there anything we can help you with? How's, yeah, don't how are you guys doing? And I think it was more to sort of poll uh, and find out how various different businesses are doing. And uh, I got quite a bit of information from him, but I was joking about, uh, he was, we started talking about the scams that we've been facing and getting. Um, and uh, we were joking about that. And I told him, I, you know, I thought about all these great scams. Mm -hmm. I decided I shouldn't do them because I'm a lawyer. But, you know, there were some really good ones. So back to the road tests. Tangent, and please. bots. And bots. Uh, it's my fault because I wrote a poem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Steve Wallace of Wallace Driving School, who I keep meaning to invite on this podcast and yet somehow never do. Very nice guy. Carried yeah. his business card around in my car for eight months for you to get him on yeah, the podcast. Well, you know me. I'm busy. Um... He thinks that they could clear the backlog by doing a combination of what I had suggested and what they're doing now. So rather than, you know, have your parents sign off that you're totally cool to drive and definitely that won't be abused by anyone, provide proof that you completed one of the approved driver license training programs like Wallace Driving School or Young Drivers or whatever show that you did the evaluation and a confirmation from your your person at the school to say, yeah, they're good enough, they can go. The problem is we have a long history in BC of people, mostly foreign people coming and bribing um, driving schools and bribing driving test I'm people. I'm sure it's not just foreign people, Paul. Well, almost exclusively um, <laughs> it has been. And so that loophole has been closed as best as ICBC can with the instructors they've got, uh, or the testers they've got, and that is the reason for it. So, so what you're saying is we should sign up to become testers and then be like, hey, by the way, we take bribes. <laughs> if anything, we're going to offer offer testing to determine whether or not you are, are immune to COVID-19. Yes. Lick an envelope, put $20 in it, and mail it to me, and I will tell you whether or not it's inconclusive conclusive or still inconclusive <laughs> or too deteriorated to test. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I'm not, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> please somebody, do not send us $20 in an envelope yeah, unless I, you really want to. No, yeah. don't expect any result. <laughs> um, you can send $14.99 and you can get a mask. Uh, the, um, so I could see the reason that they wouldn't do that, but I could see them doing it in the short term. And yes, some people would certainly abuse it in the short term, uh, but I could see them doing that for six months or a year or something until they get enough people. 
I have to tell you, there's lots of unemployed people out there right now, but uh, it's hard to uh, get people to come to want to work when you're getting the CERB, and you can get the CERB if you're even earning up to $1,000 a month. Speaking of unemployed people, that's a perfect transition to the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Which is? Ian Mulgrew. He's not unemployed. No, of course not. Ian Mulgrew won't be unemployed as long as there's ICBC-related scandals going on. But... Ian Mulgrew wrote an article. He's the reason people buy their paper. Exactly. And Ian Mulgrew wrote an article uh, that says, No fault insurance to kill thousands of BC legal support jobs, study says. And I was thinking about it today because you and I are in the midst of attempting to hire a legal assistant. Yep. It's hard. It's a pain to go through it. Painful. Anyway, I didn't ever think about this up until this point because, you know, we have our assistants. They don't, we don't deal with personal injury files, but there's all these people like paralegals that deal with a ton of this stuff on PI files. There's legal assistants that do, you know, uh, special work, special training programs just to learn how to be a legal assistant for PI. And all these people, if this goes to a tribunal based system, it's going to a tribunal-based system. Many of them will lose their jobs. It It'll take yet. a little bit of time. Well, I mean, the government will be able to pass it, right? Um, they've got the votes to do it. The Greens are not going to vote against it. Yep. So it's a matter of when they can actually pass it, but the um, when they can sit in whatever form they're going to sit in. Uh, but yes, the uh, there will be lots of jobs. And if you are a legal assistant in a PI firm right now, I would be looking at a firm that does... Uh, uh, Driving law. <laughs> property transfers or foreclosures or family law or family law those things that are going to be boom areas in the uh in the covid uh world yeah but you just think about like all like icbc employees hundreds maybe even thousands of paralegals oh yeah they're not going to need all those people anymore yeah icbc can make all those people driving uh testers and um E.B. says about this, at the end of the day, using the remarkable numbers in this study, this is a quote from Mulgrew's article, British Columbians simply don't want to pay more than half a billion dollars for 10,000 lawyers and support staff to fight out car accident claims with ICBC in court. Which is an interesting comment because Ian Mulgrew, at the same time, uh, also wrote an article about a case that was in B.C. Supreme Court not too long ago, and got a decision. So this is a decision from Justice Skullrude, a woman who is a substitute teacher with the West Van School District, is involved in a car accident. And ICBC wasn't disputing a lot of her injuries. What they were disputing was the value of her lost income, as well, uh, and her future earning capacity, as well as the existence of a hip injury that was like pretty extensive and wasn't healing even though there was tons of medical documentation to support that the hip injury was obviously there. So they make, a couple days before the trial, uh, the woman makes an offer to ICBC, settle this for $105,000. Reasonable. Yeah. Reasonable offer. ICBC, Good deal for ICBC. ICBC counters with about thirty nine grand. Oh, well, that's one to run a trial on then. Yeah, and she did. Skullrude orders mm-hmm. $250,000 dollars in damages yep. plus double costs 
because of ICBC's bad faith low negotiating low-balling tactics. Um, and so ICBC really got slapped by this. And Ian Mulgrew wrote an article about it, you know, talking about how ICBC got their knuckles wrapped in court yet again. And David Eby is quoted in the article. And it's it's shocking to me that this is like the persistent attitude um, from him because he's a lawyer, because he knows what it's like to go up against institutions, right? He literally wrote the book on how to sue the police. But he says, had ICBC uh, taken the plaintiff's demand on all 166 trials in 2019 that were um, where the court awarded less than what was demanded, we would have paid $26.5 million more than the sum of the awards. But that math ignores one gigantic cost. Which is? Running the frickin' trials. Well, running the trials, um, and the other thing is cutting it uh, halfway, you know, finding a halfway point. Yeah, because I bet, you know. In the vast majority of those, it's like ICBC's offer was probably like this, really a low ball. Yeah. And, and then all they had to do was, was bring it up a little bit. Come up, you know, this woman was offering 105000 ICBC comes back thirty nine. If they had come back at eighty, I'm sure it would have been settled. Taken it. Yeah. But, you know, nobody's going to go to court over 25 grand. That's true. So, you know, they pay way more, you know, and he's also not doing the math there. Um, the, the math on all the trials where ICBC was made to pay more than they had offered. Well, you get the sense that what happens is you get into government and you start and you want to be all, you know, fair and friendly. My father did this type of law and, you know, we, I remember him acting for people and, then you get in there and you're on the other side and all you hear is the ICBC side all day long. Um, he's the minister for ICBC and now his rhetoric has turned to become much harsher. And uh, it's, it's um, you know, it's a difficult thing. Like I get that he's got a difficult job and he's got a real mess that he inherited from the previous government. I buy that. I, you know saw enough, you know, hints of it. But, like, I don't think that making the narrative blame the lawyers, blame the lawyers, blame the lawyers without blaming your own lawyers, blaming your own broken system. Well, and recognizing that, I mean, this is a perfect example of the type of case that, that ICBC should have just settled. Yeah. Walk away. But there's a management issue there, too, right? You know, the adjuster might be ready to settle, um, the lower lawyer might be ready to settle and they have to go and explain it to somebody else up above. And the somebody else up above isn't the one who has to run the trial. You know, we run into this too, where you're dealing with a prosecutor and you've got a young prosecutor and they don't, they can't explain the case as well as you can explain it to them. You explain it to them and they're like, oh yeah, okay, you're right, you're right, you're right. And then they go and try and give that explanation to their more senior prosecutor who's, oh no, just go run it. Just, you know. <laughs> Because they can't explain it as well. See, I so. always get the sense when I'm dealing with young male prosecutors that they're running trial not for any reason to do with, like, manager syndrome. 
you don't think it's the sales manager. You think it's just they're running the trial against you because they think that it's they want to take on Kyla Lee. No, I don't think that. I think it's more like like this, you know, young white male ego thing. That well, they want to win and they figure they're smart. Yeah, you know, well, I'm a successful lawyer and I can win and, you know, she's just a girl. Maybe. That might be going through their heads. Who knows? I don't think it's actively going through their heads. I think it's more subconscious. Yeah, I think there is a um, problem that many men have in their assessing their own knowledge and skills. Uh, and it's probably worse with young men, where they're not questioning it enough in many cases. Every man I've ever dated has at some point told me how attractive they think they are. Huh. And I don't know if I'm like only attracted to a certain type of Unattractive guy. Unattractive Or, no, no, no. They're all like, I'm just a really good looking guy. You know, I, I'm just really, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good looking. It's just. Hmm. See, I think. Like, maybe I've only dated hot guys. I don't know. That could be. I just <laughs> think that like there's probably most men look almost the same to me. So. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, it just, it just, it's strange. But there, I just perceive there to be this like over inflated confidence in young men. How did we get from ICBC to this? We talked about prosecutors and managers and the person making oh, yes. the decision not being the one to run the trial. And that's part of the problem. I think that's part of the issue. Uh, and we do see that. And we see, you know, and then we see the shifting policy changes, for example. Over the course of my career, I've seen the Crown Council policy manual on resolving impaired driving cases changed and directives come down probably about seven times. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, each time there's a, you know, cause and effect. Every action has a reaction. And when they stop making deals, we start winning on weirder issues that we'd never thought about. Uh, and then they start making deals and we start to lose our skills. And yeah. the courts get backed up if well, they're not making deals. And Right now everybody's having non-trial related skills atrophy. Yes, no doubt. So it's not Eventually just me. one day we're going to have to go to court. Um, yeah, I got to go to court on Monday next week. Mm. So. Well, I have some traffic court coming up too. Really? You have traffic court? Yes. What do you have? I, I, I know that there are files for me, I've been told. Oh, well, can't wait. I'm um, going to traffic court on Monday. I'm excited. I'm excited to see new traffic court in a high school. Yeah. Someone phoned me and said, yeah, I think my court's in like Langara College or something. I'm like, that, that could be. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll all learn where the parking is. There's no traffic court at Langara. It's I don't probably know. Kwanlin. I don't know. Maybe. Um, I wish there were traffic court at Langara. That'd be super convenient for me. <laughs> yes, it would be. To my house. Yes, it would yeah. be, yeah. I just swooped down 49th. Um, speaking of David E.B. and ICBC and changes, one thing that has been a problem during this whole pandemic with getting the civil cases and the PI cases back on track has been this issue with jury trials. Because in order to put together one jury for a civil trial, they need like 200 people and to go through the whole war dire. Yep. <laughs> jury selection. War <laughs> dire is what they call yeah, they're it. Yeah, they're going to have real problems with that. Uh, I'm surprised actually that they, one of the things they could have done was limited jury, um, limited uh, ICBC trials just to judge alone. Well, this is an interesting suggestion, Paul, because in fact, that is something that is being bandied about. So right now, 
David Eby has proposed a moratorium on civil jury trials with the intention of potentially eliminating them altogether. And the Trial Lawyers Association of BC, this surprised me, isn't that opposed to it? A lot of people, a lot of um, uh, lawyers like having jury trials, and I've never understood why. Um, the uh, And I find it strange. It uh, In other provinces is not as common, it's not a common occurrence. Um, jury trials for uh, criminal matters, um, I think, probably make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. You get Supreme Court judges, and they don't hear as many criminal trials, and they're, um, they may not um, approach it with the same uh, cynicism that you might get with a jury, uh, skepticism of the police that you might get with a jury. In provincial court, I don't think you see that. I think you get judges who see all sorts of disturbing things all the time, so they maintain their level of skepticism. But the... Um, the uh, when it comes to uh, ICBC trials, I think that you you know you're probably going to get a very similar outcome. Yeah, I don't think so. I think and here's the thing: see, having gone through the ICBC system and the question of whether or not I would have a trial and whether or not it would be a trial, I was petrified at the idea of a jury trial because I don't think I would relate well to a jury and you have to make the jury like your client right well a teacher though like a substitute teacher oh, those sure. people suffer substitute teacher yeah, yeah. criminal defense lawyer uh, yeah i don't drunk think drunk driving lawyer yeah drunk driving lawyer was hit in yeah three, three accidents three car accidents uh, it's still is still you've seen her on tv oh she i know she can't be that bad yeah. She's on TV. Yeah. She has a podcast, you know. She this, it wouldn't it wouldn't have gone well for me. And people wouldn't have been sympathetic. Well, you wouldn't have had a jury trial though. Well, but ICBC can force a jury trial. Oh, can they? Yeah. Yeah, I so the way it works is either party oh, yeah, yeah, jury yeah, notice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And okay. then so jury ICBC trial. would have forced the jury trial. So they would have forced the jury trial. I didn't want that. So I settled. <laughs> the, so much unfairness. So unfair. Um anyway, one thing he's thinking about to eliminate the whole backlog of four months of cases, because all ICBC cases were adjourned oh, huge, for four months. Huge, huge. backlog, because they were already being adjourned half the time anyway. Um, he's saying we can force people to judge alone. No juries. If you want a jury, F off for a while. Or people can opt into binding arbitration instead of having a jury trial, which is kind of interesting i don't you know I, I i don't see how different this is from like the civil resolution tribunal it's not arbitration but it's similar right the civil resolution tribunal has arbitration like hallmarks to the way that why don't they, they have pre-trial conferences like we're having in uh they do basically do they? yeah yeah they're called tmcs do they lay it out the way that we do in our criminal no. Yeah. But they should. Um, so the Trial Lawyers uh, Association of BC, again, not opposed necessarily to the idea. Their position is what, what David E.B. calls as tepid support or suspicious support. Well, they may want to just start getting things on because, you know, what are you going to do? you got well, a bunch of four files. Four months without an income for all those people. Well, it's not just the income for the lawyers. It's the your clients waiting for their trial, and now are they going to wait another year? Yep. 
or two. Yep. And apparently, so apparently there's like a desire there to get rid of this civil jury trial system, which just to me shocks me because if you suggested as some of our government officials recently have getting rid of, or not government officials, Supreme Court of Canada justices, which I guess is technically a bit anyway. Um, they're paychecks from the government, but they're not elected officials. But they're the and they're not they're from the supposed, judicial branch, supposed to not which be is political. a branch of government. But anyway, yeah, no. try and persuade yourself that it's as separate as you would like. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Um, as a certain Supreme Court of Canada chief justice recently suggested, we should just get rid of criminal jury trials. Uproar! Yep. The the anger and resentment from the bar, which honestly, like, I don't get the criminal jury trial either. Like, if I had a client, I don't do murders, but if I had a client charged with murder, I would feel more confident with a judge. If you know who your judge is, you may not feel quite so confident with the judge. Mm, good point. Every judge is different. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. We, yeah, do, okay. we do hearings on very specific points of law and evidence with an expert tribunal, and th that tribunal, those tribunal members are different. Yeah. The, just, uh, like, a lawyer was walking by my house the other day and I started talking to him and he knows what we do. Nice guy. And, um, I told him like, it's, there is always the, the final thing, which is you don't know who your adjudicator is going to be and that you're going to have a uh, great adjudicator mm -hmm. and a mediocre case. And you might have a better chance of success than you would with a adjudicator who's hasn't been there as long or doesn't seem to be as friendly to, uh, to the they're, or uh, as willing to protect the rights of the little guy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same thing in court. And we used to be able to, to some extent, shop for judges in provincial court. We can't do that anymore. Uh, but if you're going to have a trial and you find out that you've got Judge X, you may not want Judge X and you can choose a jury. And that's the one way to protect yourself from Judge X if you, do be if you believe that that judge is not... Yeah, last second re-election. Yep. I guess, but then how do you explain the people who elect jury to begin with? You elect jury to begin with because you're just not confident that you're not going to get Judge X. You don't know. And you rely on the But then the you good, have to you rely. hope that you impanel a good jury and then you end up with like a Colton Bushy situation. Yeah. Well, and they succeeded. Yeah. So there you go. But, but I mean. It, it was wrong. I, I, that's a different issue. I mean. Yeah. Anyway, very interesting. I Jury mean, trials going away. As you know, I, I have trouble defending any of it. When judges are right 54% of the time with credibility, I wonder if the justice system should just be a flip of a, a coin at the start. Well, let's not denigrate the justice system because at least we. I see room for improvement. You know where, okay. After 20 years. This has nothing to do with driving law, but I want to bring it up because you talked about room for improvement and I mentioned denigrating the justice system. And I just have to say there was some insanity filed in Ontario this week. There's some room for improvement. <laughs> From a very high profile, generally incredibly well-respected lawyer who took a case on behalf of like some anti-vaxxer organization. 191-page statement of claim. Yeah, I'd say wacko anti-vaxxer organization. I, I, all anti-vaxxer organizations are wacko. I know. More <laughs> wacko than most, maybe. I don't know. 
And lots of good points, you know. Did, you know, was was suspending Parliament something they should have done? Should they have did invoked the, the Emergency Act? Was it necessary to impose all the restrictions that they did? All legitimate questions that are totally deserving of having their day in court. Because the we upsetting have... thing for me about all of them is that every one of those questions at the time, we generally all agreed. And it's an elected government, and the elected government generally agreed. So I think all of those questions are ridiculous. Well, I still think, you know, the Emergency Act and the Quarantine Act, they all provide for a mechanism of review of the orders. And we have confidence in our justice system that the judiciary is a check on the power of the, the you know, legislative and executive branches. So go ahead, test those things. But then this claim muddies it with all these allegations that there's a worldwide conspiracy to, like, inflate the seriousness of COVID to try and create a vaccine, which is actually just going to implant microchips into people. I just want a microchip so people can find me when I get lost. But, like, honestly, though, Paul, why, as a lawyer, as a smart lawyer who has done good work in our justice system, would you not take your client aside and go, this is stupid? Like, this will get struck, and your entire case could be thrown out, and costs could be made against what you. What if he believes that now? What if he's in, what if he accepts it? I mean, he made the the argument. If he believes that, then the law society should be looking into his fitness. I don't know. There's room for a whole variety of beliefs in a in a pluralistic system. I hate the fact that anti-vaxxers are out there. anti-vaxxer conspiracy microchip the fact, theories. I hate the fact that this is out there. It's... It's damaging to society. It's damaging, you know, it threatens the, the health of the society. Uh, but I accept that people are going to have crazy beliefs. I, I mean, I, I often think it's a failure of our education system. Um, but yes, I saw Rocco Galati's pleadings. I started reading it. I was avoiding the name. Oh, I started reading it. And um, I mean, he got so much goodwill when he... Uh, when he opposed Mark uh, Nadon's um, uh, appointment to the Supreme Court of Canada uh, and won that handily, quickly, recognized immediately that it was a problem. And it kind of feels like he's spoiling it now. But, you know, he's an older guy. He practices for 15 more years. Then he'll disappear. We all just disappear after that. I guess. Anyway, I that was ridiculous. But that wasn't the ridiculous person I wanted to close the podcast off with. Because it's time for... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. I have to think that a lot of people have already heard about this one, but it absolutely has to be covered because it is really just that good. Hilarious. Not, not from Florida. Hilarious. Very good. Um, best excuse for speeding ever? Pretty sure. Pretty sure. So a man... Snake, snake on a leg. Man in Australia, uh, named Jimmy, 27 years old, is seen speeding, and police pull him over, and he's like, yeah, actually, there was a brown snake on my leg, and I was trying to stab it with a knife. <laughs> Well, he got the the snake the snake off apparently and threw it in the box and thought he had been bit and he was driving to the hospital or you know so he said but the police accepted it when they saw the dead stabbed up snake in the box of the truck. 
That's hilarious. And they took him to the hospital, and the people in the hospital said, this guy is shaken up. He's in shock. Yeah. But um, no snake bite. No snake bite. But you can imagine if a snake came up the leg, your leg, you know, Australia does want to kill you. What is the brown snake like? The third deadliest snake in the world? Deadly, deadly uh, and brown, apparently. Yeah, but I think it's like the, the king cobra, the black mamba, then the brown snake or something I, I like that. No I have All no idea. All I know idea. is the black mamba's second. Well, I'm just, yeah, I, I have no idea. All I know is that the police, I guess, accepted this this in the end when they saw the snake. So. And fair enough. If you want to. Um, I drove over a uh, rattlesnake in Nevada once. I'm just saying that if you want to get away with, like, speeding, you should find a dead brown snake, stab it up a bit, and keep it in the back of your truck just in case. Yeah, but you got a fresh one, and do you really want to go through the effort of stabbing it? Um, Mind you, the police probably didn't inspect to see I how fresh it was. I don't think they looked too closely. Like, if you're looking at, like that being one of the most deadly snakes in the world, I'd keep my distance. Yeah. <laughs> like my weapon drawn. <laughs> yeah. That might still come back alive at you. They do in the horror movies. Mate. That was the worst Australian accent I don't ever. do an Australian accent. I've stopped doing accents. That wasn't an Australian accent. I've stopped doing them because I'm worried about people thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm somehow trying to steal their culture. I think it's still socially acceptable to make fun of Australians and the British. Well, and and to say horrible things about Germans. They earned it. Yeah, not the Germans who are alive now, who are 10 years old, who have to suffer that. Are you speaking of your children? My children are not 10. But I'm thinking of all those kids in Germany. All the villains in all the films. Germans. Oh. German accents. Anyway, deadly, deadly snake, deadly awesome excuse for speeding. Yeah, no, it was great. It's a great story, and uh, it was uh, on Global Now today, and I tweeted it, and it was all over the place. So you probably all heard about it. If you haven't heard about it, then you found out about it here. Now, it's the other thing that's been big in the discussion on Twitter mm -hmm. is our new song. We have a new song we released this week. It was by request. Someone on Twitter, and I don't remember where the original tweet was, requested that we do some sort of old-timey uh, country music song. So uh, we got together and we recorded Deep in the Dark of the Jailhouse, which is, uh, once again, an original song by the Accutones. And we have a video. The video is up. You can go to our YouTube page, Vancouver Criminal Law. You search Acumen Law YouTube. Um, and look in the music videos and you will find it. And um, Lewis, maybe can add it to the end of the podcast here. Yeah, and subscribe to the Acumen Law YouTube channel. Yeah, we almost have a 1,000 subscribers. We had 971 last time I checked. I mean, if we get a 1,000 subscribers, they monetize the channel, which means that all of the like tens of thousands of dollars that you and I have put in time, money, blood, sweat, and tears... Could into making videos. Earn us 40 cents a month. Could earn us, earn us 40 cents a month and at the end of the year could buy me a chocolate bar. There you go. I didn't know that about a thousand subscribers, but we're still not going to have ads in our videos, so. Sure. I mean, we're not going to do that. Okay. Well, that's our podcast. So. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Driving Law. If you need to get in touch with us because you want to pitch a music video idea, or you also were attacked by a snake which caused you to speed and you really need a defense, I will take that case pro bono. <laughs> Give us a call, 604-685-8889, or find us online, vancouvercriminallaw.com, and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse is where they're sending me. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse, they say I'll never be free. I took some Wrigley's gum from the 7-Eleven store. They cuffed me and released me, can't go there anymore. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse is where my fate does lie. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse, sure as 3.14's pie. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse, didn't pay for that gum. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse, facing jail sure ain't fun. Finally found me a lawyer. Hey, that's me. She said she could help me. She talked me off the ledge. Walked away from the hanging tree. Worked ten hours at the food bank. Volunteering. No lockup in a cell. Restitution. The rough and tough cowgirl lawyer. Be sure to ring her bell. Ding dong. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse. The place I'll never know. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse. Place no one wants to go. Deep in the dark of the jailhouse She lifted my internal strife Deep in the dark of the jailhouse My lawyer done saved my life Deep in the dark of the jailhouse My lawyer done saved my life, my lawyer done saved my life.